of our hope is in Jesus Christ and his blood. So we come to the book of Colossians. And one of the things I I just really want to bring out, I don't have time to go through the whole book today. I encourage you to study it. But I I want to bring out just a little bit from chapter 1. And I've taught you this recently. But in verse 5, Paul says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And so we have a hope in heaven. He says what that is in verse 21 and 22 of the same chapter. You that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. We are reconciled now. It's done. And the Bible says, and this is our hope in heaven, that in the body of his flesh through death, To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And so that is our hope in heaven. That Jesus is going to present us to his father. Holy, unblameable and unreprovable in the sight of God. That's our hope. And how is he going to do that? Verse 22. Which is going to bring us into chapter 2. Which is very important. But verse 22 says it was in the body of his flesh through death. What did you do? Nothing. It was in the body of his flesh through death. In the body of his flesh through death. And the Bible says that even even before in verse 20, that he made peace for us through the blood of his cross. And it's not that you have contributed anything because we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. Now, that faith is alive, and it's going to produce great works, but these are good works, not dead works. A dead work is anything that you do that tries to make you acceptable to God. That's a dead work, because you're trying to do something outside of Jesus Christ. But a good work are the works of faith that we have in our life that comes out of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And there are abundance of good works that will happen because of our faith. It may not feel like you're holy today. As you look at your life, there are probably things you recognize in your life that are not Christ-like, things that you battle with and deal with, things that you want to be delivered from, that you want to have victory over in your life right now. These are very real to all of us. We know that we are we have not yet been perfected in, as far as our sanctification. But he's going to present me in the sight of his father holy and unblameable and unreprovable. And he's going to do that because of the body of his flesh that went through death for me. And through the blood of his cross, he's going to do that. So that's my hope in heaven is Jesus Christ and his blood that makes me holy, unreprovable and unblameable in the sight of God. This is very important because verse 22 is talking about the circumcision of Jesus. It's talking about when he was crucified on the cross. The Bible calls that a circumcision. So the things that we've had in the Old Testament, even through the things that Moses would give us, were to be types and shadows, illustrations of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect example. So even with circumcision in the Old Testament, that was to be practiced by everyone who was a Jew. From Abraham forward, all of the men were to be circumcised. It was a sign of the covenant. But they took all of their faith and put it in that physical circumcision. So God had enough of it. 
And God says, you draw near to me with your mouths. Your hearts are far from me. Circumcise your hearts, Israel. That's what God was after. He wasn't after the discipline of the flesh. He was after the desires of our hearts and that we would draw close to God with our hearts. And even all of those circumcisions of the Old Testament were to point us to this great circumcision of Jesus Christ, which is the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is what brings us into chapter 2, which I think is, is marvelous. And the title of this message is, Beware of Those with an Opinion. Beware of those with an opinion. Some of you know what I'm talking about. These are difficult people. They really are. Now, the Bible says this in verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And, And that's really to take your faith away from you. Lest any man do that with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, this is very important. As you have therefore received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk ye in him. And Paul tells us in Galatians 2 how you received him by grace through faith. So how do you live this life? By grace through faith. Some people would say, okay, now that you've been saved by grace, now what? This is the next thing. No, there's no next thing. It's by grace through faith. We were saved by grace through faith. We live by grace through faith. We're going to meet God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that he is our Savior. And so that's how we're supposed to walk in this life. Praise God. Doesn't it get complicated with religion? Doesn't it do that? We, 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 like the Jews, begin to draft our own laws and regulations. We do that. Denominations do that. Whether it's holiness denominations or whatever it might be. And, and it talks about how long a person's hair can be. How long their skirts have to be. What kind of jewelry they can wear. How they do their hair. All of these things. These are rules and regulations of men that are not going to make anybody holy except for the flesh. And God's not interested in the flesh. The only answer to the flesh is death. That's it. You're not going to reform this stuff. It can only die and put it away. And so he says this, that that we would walk in him the way we were saved. And he says, verse 7, he talks about this walk rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And this is the reason, because you need to beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. These are people with an opinion. These are the philosophers. And the philosophers are enemies of the cross because they come with an opinion. And their opinions are good. They make sense. That's why he said in verse 4 at the very end, they have enticing words. Those enticing words mean they're very logical and they make sense. And I believe if I did them, it would really help me be more Christ-like. And so there's a philosophy in it and a logic that's in it. It's, it's not nonsense. And so Paul wants you to know, as you receive Jesus, you need to walk in Jesus. And you need to be rooted and built up in the faith, established in the faith in Christ. And then you need to abound with thanksgiving. Because there are going to be people who come along. And they're going to attempt to spoil you. That word spoil is is like to go into conflict or a battle 
win the battle and you become their trophy. This is the same analogy that Paul uses in the book of Galatians where he says to those in Galatia, he said, there are those that want, they desire to make a good show in the flesh. And if they can convert you to their way of life, it will give them reward. And that's why they do it. So there are people, and I know that you good people who are born again and you love Jesus with all of your heart and you're thankful for the gospel, you find it very hard to believe that there are people that are invested in this kind of stuff, but they're out there. And they're, they're in here and, and they're everywhere. And we have to be very careful because they look at you as a contest and they want to win it. And so they're very aggressive and they're very diligent. And, and by the way, they look very Christ-like. Beware of the form of godliness, but inwardly they have denied the power of God. Beware of that. And so he says this, they will beware you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now listen to this. After the tradition of men... After the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So philosophers are those who just oppose, but they have no scriptural reason to do so. Wait a minute now. They have scripture. Satan has scripture. They have scripture, but they have no contextual scripture to stand upon. They cannot give up the logic of Moses for the faith that we are to have in Jesus Christ. So they mix it. Yes, we do believe that we should believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ. But we cannot abandon a life of self-effort and self-work to improve ourselves and align ourselves to how God wants us to live. Which the whole history of the law was that you cannot do it. And now that you're born again, you're not born again so that now you can do it. You're born again now to align yourself back up through reconciliation with God that now God the Holy Ghost can do this in me. He can do it. And I will be able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it wasn't because of self-effort. But I worked in that grace, but it really wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was in me. So these philosophers are out of context, and they're all over the place scripturally. They have no ability to reason from the word, and they will always default back to their opinion or to their traditions or to the ways of man. They will always revert back to that because that is just what makes sense. And I want to deal with this for just a second. The the word philosophy is a rational investigation of the truths and principles of being, of who you are, why we're here, why do we exist. That's philosophy. Why do we exist? You know, they're the ones that sit around and ponder. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, does it make a sound? You know, they ponder that. They're incredibly intelligent. They're brilliant. Their minds are brilliant. In a lot of ways, Albert Einstein was a philosopher. I mean, he thought, he contemplated the mysteries of the universe. Then he put that together with his scientific genius and mathematics. And and he began to come up with things that were astounding to all of mankind. So, so, But that's what philosophers do. They reason, they think, they, they, they meditate upon why we're here. What are we here for? What's our life all about? What about knowledge? What really is knowledge? 
What does it mean to know? What's the highest knowledge? What's the greatest thing a man can know? What is our conduct? How should we live as as humans? Are we better than the other species that are upon the planet? And out of all of that comes a system of life. This is how I believe we should live. So the Aristotles and people like that would come up with all of these ways of life and Greek ways of life and so forth. But it comes out of a rational study. It's, it's, not, it's not so much foolishness and stupidity. It is a rational study that is very, very intellectual. I mean, if some person just comes up here just really full of idiocracies and stupidity and making those, they're, they're not going to disturb you one bit. But let a philosopher into your life who's all over the scriptures but out of context who's a deep thinker, who is ascribed to a way of life that looks very healthy. Let them get into your life and they will mess you up. They will mess you up. Paul said to the Galatians, I didn't give these people one hour of my life. Not one hour. I'm not going to do it. We want to be Christians, you know. Let's just be Christians and love everybody. Paul said in Galatians, those that are troubling you and bewitching you, I wish you would cut them out. Like you would amputate your arm, cut them out of your life. They do not need to be there. They're so extremely... Da- I got to get into this. Okay. So, now listen. For, the, for man's flesh, there's nothing greater than philosophy. And in a lot of ways, that, that is why God gave us the law. And I don't have time to go back to that. But very quickly, I just want to read a small portion of Scripture in Galatians 3. And you can just listen to this if you will. But in Galatians 3, it says this about... About the law in verse 12, the law is not of faith, but the man that does them shall live in them. The law is not of faith. The law makes sense logically. The the law makes sense to a man's flesh that this is the way we should live. This is what is moral. This is what is ethical. None of us in this room are moral. None of us in this room are ethical. And if you think that you are, you need to have an encounter with God so that you know you're a sinner like the rest of us. So nobody's moral, nobody's ethical. The only person who ever was was Jesus Christ. Perfectly moral and perfectly ethic. But the law of God speaks of morals and ethics and it makes sense to our flesh and it does not require faith. But when you come to Jesus Christ and now you're going to believe on the gospel, the gospel demands faith. Therefore, there are so many aspects of the gospel that are not necessarily going to be logical to you. Like Nicodemus, how can a man be born again? And, and who of you can explain that? You know, I, I mean, in all of its depth, it's so very difficult. So the gospel demands faith. The law does not demand faith. And so if you're going to walk with Jesus Christ, you're going to have to walk in faith. You're going to have to deal with philosophers who walk not in faith. And it's very important for us to understand it. And so he says in, in back, back in Colossians And chapter 2, and he says through verses 4 through 8, how they come. They want to spoil you. They want to take you into their camp as their prize. The way that they do it is through philosophy and vain deceit. I've explained philosophy. They do it after the traditions of men. The precepts, principles, and customs that have intrinsic value and honor. So so that's how people live. That's how... That, that's one reason why the Holy Spirit has such a difficult time leading his church into the fullness of Jesus Christ and making an impact upon the generations that are coming because the Holy Spirit is creative. 
The first thing God wanted us to know about himself is, in the beginning, God created. I'm a creator. Don't try to put me in your box, because just when you do, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something different. But what happens? We get stuck in the old ways. We get stuck in the hymns. We can't enjoy new songs. We get stuck in pews. We can't enjoy chairs. We get stuck in overheads. We can't enjoy the, the video aspect of things, because these were our traditions. This is how we grew up. This is what I love. It's not about us. It's about God. What does God love? What does God want? What does Jesus want? And it's all for him. But it's these traditions that get in that that hinder the Holy Spirit from being able to move the way he wants to move. It's nothing in this world is stopping the Holy Spirit from doing what he wants to do. The only thing that would hinder the Holy Spirit are his people who grieve him, who quench him, or who hinder him. And the rudiments of the world are the principles and practices of the world. Every religion except for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a works-based religion. Even Judeo law, it is a works-based religion that God never intended them to continue in. It was simply to teach them that they were sinners and needed a savior. Most evangelical Christianity today, from the Pentecostal ranks to the Baptist ranks, is nothing more than glorified Roman Catholicism. Which evangelical Christians would stand against that? No, Catholicism is a works-based salvation. But so is so much of Pentecost. You're saved by grace, but if you're going to stay in this, it's got to be your works. And that philosophy is destroying multitudes of people. And so we have to be very careful. On what basis do they appeal to believers? Verse 10. This is what they were doing. So Paul writes this. He says, you are complete in him. Because these philosophers were saying, you're not complete in him. You know you're not complete. That's all they have to do. You know you're not complete. I mean, you know God's holy, right? And you say, yes, I know God's holy. Are you holy as God? I mean, what would we say? No. I mean, that would be our natural response. And those of us that know the gospel, we would say yes, because he's given me his holiness. But apart from that, if these philosophers were in our life, you know, could say, look, I can reprove you of things in your life. I've, I've been around you a little bit and I've seen things in you so I could reprove you. And if I can reprove you, then you know when you see God, he's going to reprove you. You're in no condition to meet God the way that you are. That's why Paul said in chapter one, my hope in heaven is that through his blood and his death, through his flesh, he will present me holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. And that's what he's dealing with with the philosophers in chapter 2. Don't let them try to tell you you're not complete. You are complete in him. He is everything. And Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He's made unto us wisdom, righteousness, glory, justification. And so he says this, he says, you're complete in him, which is the head. Jesus is the head of all principality and power. Now we're coming to circumcision. This is chapter 1 that we read in verse 22. Remember the body of his flesh? This is the explanation of that. He says in verse 11, in whom, speaking of Jesus, in Jesus you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Y'all remember a couple of weeks ago I took that paper and put it on the cross as though it were my flesh. That's what happened. Now what does this mean? Listen, I'm, I'm going to skip verse 12 for just a second. And then we're going to come back to it. But I want to read verse 11 and verse 13. 
in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. The reason I'm reading these two verses together is this. If God has not circumcised you, then verse 13 is where you are. You are in the uncircumcision of your flesh, and you're dead in your sins. And salvation is verse 11. Salvation is that you become circumcised, listen, not with the hands of men, but with God's circumcision. God does it. What is that? Verse 12. Verse 12 is the circumcision. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. Because you were dead in your sins and your uncircumcised flesh. But God circumcised you through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He cut your body of sin off of you. And he nailed it with his son Jesus on the cross and put it down into the grave. And when Jesus came up from the grave in a glorified body, you came up as a new creature in Christ. This is the operation of God. It's for you to believe. You have to believe it. And this this whole thing transpires in your life. Now, this is what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Verse 14, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That's the law. That was against us. It's our judge. No man will be justified by the law. It was contrary to us. Our nature was unable to fulfill it. So he took it out of the way and he nailed it to his cross and he spoiled principalities and powers. He went to Satan's kingdom and got you out of it. You're you're his trophy. And he made a show of them, these principalities and powers. He triumphed over them in it. He didn't go to hell after he died on the cross to be kicked around by devils or somehow complete salvation. It was all done on the cross. And when Jesus died at the cross, he went to paradise Not hell. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so he spoiled them on the cross. He made a show of them openly and he triumphed over them. So he's back to, if you will, verse 8. So verses 9 through 15 is what God has done for you in Jesus. And now he's he's coming back in verse 16, attaching it to verse 8. Let no man therefore... Judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you. And that word beguile means to defraud you of your salvation. Let no man defraud you of your salvation, of your reward, or, or defraud you of your reward. In a voluntary humility. That's, that's flesh worship. You get your flesh to behave. That's the voluntary. It's not real humility. It's not Holy Ghost humility. It is just the voluntary effort of the flesh to be humble. Have you ever seen a person in their flesh trying to be humble? It's so sad. It's so sad to watch. 
and worshiping of angels. Now, angels, we oftentimes think of the heavenly beings, but angels are messengers of God. So it can be earthly preachers, earthly men and women who declare things about God. And that that word worship is to give your life to them. Don't give your life to any man. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Follow him. They are intruding into those things which he has not seen and he's vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. And that's how the philosophers work. A voluntary humility. Wouldn't you be more holy if you did this? Wouldn't you be more holy if you got rid of your television? Well, if I did, I wouldn't spend so much time in it. I could spend more time in prayer and I wouldn't be as tempted to watch things that I shouldn't watch. So, yeah. So I'm going to get rid of my television because it's going to make me more holy. You can take your TV out of your house and never change your heart. Now, if God, the Holy Ghost, is living inside of you and saying, this is a stumbling block in your life. And I am moving upon you that you get rid of this, then get rid of that. That's an act of that's a good work of faith because the Holy Spirit's telling you to do that. You got booze in your fridge and the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, no drunk's going to enter my kingdom. Go dump it out. Well, if I just dump all my booze, that's work and works. No, not if the Holy Spirit's telling you. That's the act of grace. And so you go dump it out because that's not something he wants in your life. And you trust his grace to give you strength and to give you victory over it. And so they're vainly puffed up in their, their, their fleshly mind. They're not holding the head. That's Jesus. From which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increased with the increase of God. And what Paul is encouraging the Colossians to do is this. Listen, don't, don't get far from the body of Christ. Because the philosophers are going to get the stragglers. They're going to get the people that are not attached to the body. Because it is there in the body that it's knit together. And that body increases with the increase of God. The increase of God is the influence of God. It's his grace. And the body of Christ, the true body of Christ, saved by God, walking in grace, really helps one another. And strengthens one another. There's a lot of love in that body. There's a lot of grace in that body. And then he says, wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, because not everybody is. And not everybody that goes to church is, is dead with Christ. They have not experienced that circumcision. They still live in their sins and they say, you know what? It's okay. It's just who I am. God, God still loves me. Yeah, God loves you. But nobody's going to heaven because God loved them. Because God loves, he's provided salvation. And we're going to heaven, not because God loves us. He loved the whole world, but most of the world is going to go to hell. But it's because you have been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. That's why. And that body of sin has been dealt with in your life by you and by God through what we call repentance. And so now he says this. So if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. Why? And I love that. Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Why do you do this to yourself? Why, when you are free, you are dead with Christ, which brings us into chapter 3. I encourage you to go study it. Why, when you are dead with Christ, from the rudiments of the world, why do you put yourself back under ordinances? 
Why do you do that? Why are you at church? Why are you here? Are you trying to gain a point with God? Are you trying because you, you're interested in philosophy and intellectual Bible study? Why are you here? Or are you here because you have a very deep love for Jesus Christ? And you have a very deep love for his people. And you say, this is where I want to be. I want to be with God and I want to be with his people because I love the Lord and I love his people. And I want to help them and I want to help others be able to walk with Jesus Christ. And I need the church and I need God in my life. Is, is that why we're here? You have to know that. Why are we here? Or if it's just an ordinance, it's not going to get you to heaven. You know that. You're not going to go to heaven because you go to church. But if you go to Jesus and you become a new creature, you'll go to church. But not because of the law, but because of grace. You will do that. And so he says, but why do you do this? Why do you subject yourself to ordinances like touch not, taste not, handle not? After all are to perish with using. After the commandments and doctrines of men. Why do you do that? Because these things, now listen to verse 23, very important, and I'm closing with this. Verse 23, this is why we do it. Because they indeed show of wisdom and will worship. It just, it seems right. Which takes us back, if you will, to these Verse 4, these philosophers that beguile you with enticing words. They, they beguile us with enticing words. And so maybe somebody really convicted by the Holy Spirit gets rid of their television. And now it becomes a doctrine. For everybody. God told me to get rid of my television. And I just want to say to the church, if you're going to be holy, you need to get rid of your television. And the reason you have TVs is because you're not holy and you're not serious about walking with God. And I begin to impose that. Now, if I had time to develop that, I could really develop that in such a wonderful way to make all of you convicted or practically all of you convicted. But that would just be philosophy. And it would not be good. It would not be good. The Holy Spirit has to show you. It has to be the work of his grace in your life. So these things indeed show wisdom in will worship. That means self-effort, self-effort and humility. It seems humble and neglecting of the body. Oh, my, that's the big one, right? That's the big one. I mean, if I'm neglecting my body, if I'm not giving into my flesh, it has to be God. No, just ask the Hindus, ask the Muslims. Ask the Buddhist who bring their flesh under a more strict discipline than any of us ever have. Does not make us holy. Boy, but when these philosophers get in our heads, it sure does. Because if I'm not pleasing my flesh and that has characterized the church for too long, depressed Christians. Not knowing the liberty of the Lord or the victory of the Lord because they're so... They live in such a turmoil of what they can't do because they're Christians. Rather than now that we're Christians, this is what we get to do. This is the life we get to live. I could do anything, but because he saved me, I get to do this now. 
and and the, and the whole testimony becomes beautiful. And there's not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Not in any honor. And we think that, you know, well, if this is not satisfying my flesh, it has to be good. The flesh is so deceptive. You would be surprised how satisfied the flesh is when you are seen as a uh, martyr. Or when somebody recognizes your incredible sacrifices that you've made for God, and they come and compliment those sacrifices that you made for God, your flesh just takes it in, drinks it in, says, oh, I'm so glad somebody saw that. It was worth it all. Now I'm going to do it for another month. Just for somebody else to recognize how holy I am. And, and it deceives us. And we have to be so careful. So if you're risen with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ sits on the hand. This is a, this is a, a contrast between. If, why if you've been crucified with Christ. Are you seeking the things of the world? Why? And the ordinances. And the touch not. And the taste not. In the hand. No. If you're really risen with Christ. And that is. Guys, those words are huge because if you're not risen with Christ, you're going to use grace and a confession in Christ to go live however you want. But if you are risen with Christ, now do what people who are not risen with Christ cannot do. Seek the things that are above. Not this world and this world system and the traditions of men. Seek the things that are above. Going back to the music that I'd mentioned earlier about, you know, our traditions and, and what we like and everything. Else. I remember somebody writing Billy Graham a letter about the new music and asking Billy Graham what he said. Wrong man to ask. He's the guy that took in the hippies, you know, <laughs> and, and, and was like, God's doing a work in the hippies and so forth. So they asked Billy Graham, what do you think about the new music? And he said this. It was profound. He said, I read in heaven that they sing the songs of Moses and the Lamb and a new song. And so he said, you ought to get, if you're going to walk with God, you need to get used to enjoying it all. If it lifts up the name of our Savior and it edifies his people. What wisdom, what wisdom that is. So this is our last message on the new covenant and enemies of the new covenant. We bring this to an end. And I ask you to look at your heart and look at your life. Every one of us, every one of us at some point in our life are tempted to operate as a philosopher. But I encourage us to be grounded in the word. To be established in the word. And that our ability to stand. And to confirm everything through the scriptures. Is, is the place of safety. And it's where the Holy Spirit is. And there's liberty there. There's life there. And I pray that we would rejoice that we are complete in Jesus Christ if we've been born again, if we've been circumcised. But are you really circumcised with Christ? Does the grace of God aggressively get to work in your life, convicting you of what's not Christ-like and giving you power to live a Christ-like life? Because grace is not going to allow you to live like you want. Grace is going to give you the power to be like him to be like him. And that is the beauty and the glory of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you this morning that you have liberated us into your kingdom and you have made Jesus everything to us. You have given us fullness through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that there is an exciting life of transformation and change by your grace. I thank you, Lord, that 
we do not have to spend our time on this earth making ourselves look holy to other people or even to ourselves. But I thank you, Father, that we can receive the holiness and the righteousness and the glory that you give us through Jesus Christ. And we can walk in celebration of that in a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we can actually now fulfill the desires of the law because of your Holy Spirit in us, because of the life of Jesus in us. Truly Christianity is that Christ in me is the hope of glory. Christ in me. Because you are there, I have all hope and I have all sufficiency for anything I could ever need or want or long for. Jesus, you are it. You are everything. Help us, Lord, to bring people into this freedom and help us, Lord, to be Christians and fight the enemies of the cross to stand against them to cut them off if we have to from perverting the liberty that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit help us to fight to love you enough to join with Paul in persecution if need be for this good news that you've given us through your son Jesus We're going to take a moment and worship God. Just a moment. Call us sing for just a bit. Just take a moment and pray and look at your heart. Look at your life. Consider it. Prepare your heart. Be a true preacher of the gospel. It brings good news to people. Hope through Jesus.